Welcome to the Pure Flix Podcast. I'm Billy Hollowell, and as always, I am joined by Becky Thompson and actually today, a good friend of mine, John Seidel. How you guys doing? We're doing good. I'm doing good. Doing well. Yes. So, all right, John, you have a new book coming out. It's called Finding Rest, A Survivor's Guide to Navigating the Valleys of Anxiety, Faith, and Life. And this is, first of all, this book is exciting because it's already been like an Amazon bestseller and the book's not even out yet. And the book comes out on my birthday, which is very exciting for, oh, for me as well. Well, that's how I planned it. Didn't you know that? It's, <laughs> yes, it's my birthday gift to you. There I you figured go. as much. I figured as much. Now, so John and John and I, just for context, so everybody knows, we used to we worked together for years. We still work on projects together. And when you told me you were doing this book, I was captivated by it because a lot of what we've covered is cultural and a lot of other issues. And this book is a really important topic, very different from some of the other things that you've that you've worked on. So what was it that kind of drove you toward writing this? Well, my wife and I had a breakdown. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so I'll just kind of I'll just kind of rewind. Yeah, I, I I worked in news and politics for so long, and I think kind of looking back on it, you see that um, a lot of like that's not a good combination for someone with anxiety and OCD. Um, for for a couple of reasons. One, you're I mean, the the news of the day is never like you know finding good news is hard to do, and so that always gave me anxiety. But then also like. I'm an overachiever. Um, and I always try to get like, I want to meet or ex- I, I don't want to meet, I want to exceed your expectations. Right. So it's like, you know, I was, I was engrossed in the news 24 seven. And so, um, kind of fast forward to about 2014 and my wife is just, broken down in front of me saying like something has to change. And, and this is going to sound funny for probably like the general population, but those who struggle with anxiety and OCD will get this. Like I flipped out because of the wrong sweetener in my coffee. And you're like, that is so stupid. And I'm like, yes, that is so stupid. And I was telling myself at the time that was so stupid, but you know, my wife and I went out to coffee. I told her, don't put sweet. Uh, 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 I, I said, I want sweet and low. I don't want Splenda. I hate Splenda. Went to the bathroom, come back the wrong sweeteners in my coffee. And I'm like, I just lose it. Not like in a, I'm punching a wall, you know, fly off the handle. But my OCD is like, I, why can't I just have the right sweetener? Like, like in my coffee, I just want my coffee to taste good, you know? And the whole day I can't stop thinking about it. Right. And so my wife just ends up like breaking down and saying like, listen, I'm in this for the long haul. Like I'm going to live out my, my vows, but you got to let me know like, how, is this it? Like, is this what I can look forward to for the rest of our marriage? Because it's going to require a lot more than I even realized. And so it was then that I I knew I had to get help. And so within a few weeks, I was into a psychiatrist and I sat down in front of him and kind of told him everything. And he's, you know, I mean, it did not take him long, you know, um, if he charges by the hour, you know, I probably could have got away with just like a half hour pain for that. But he was like, listen, uh, yeah, you have GAD, generalizing anxiety disorder and OCD. And I heard those words and I talk about this in the book, but it, it was some of the most freeing words ever. And Becky, I know maybe you can probably relate to this, but like for me, it wasn't like, oh my God, I have these things. It was, thank you. I can finally put a name to what is going on um, because we can't fight 
what we don't name. We can't fight an enemy that we don't know is an enemy, right? And so it was like, yes, I now I can get a plan of action. Now I can I can I can work on getting better. And so that's kind of the the quick overview of the origin story and 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 then what I found out, I was working at I'm second at the time and I wrote an article on this about 2 years after I came out, I guess. Um I said it's like time to tell my tell, time to tell the world my secret, right? Because then, and I still think now, in the church and in the faith setting, it's taboo. You don't talk about mental health. You don't talk about your struggles. And you definitely don't take medication. And you don't, you know, uh, go go to outside psychiatrists. You know, you're supposed to pray about it. You're supposed to have faith. And so I wrote that article. And, and Billy and Becky, I'm telling you, the, the messages I got from people in the faith community who said, oh, my God, thank you. Thank you for writing about this and like releasing me to talk about it, you know, um, because it's so stigmatized and and people who suffer from it are just told like, you know, get over it, you know, or 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 pray more or have enough faith. And so that's when I was like, that started the idea of the book. Like, I need to write this book, a for people to understand themselves better if they have it. Two for for the loved ones, like my wife. There's there's a ton of stuff in the book from my wife, who like said, and, and Billy knows my wife Brett. She's like, you have to put this in the book, right? Like like you have to tell them this. Um, so there's a lot of stuff in there for people who are trying to love people like me. <laughs> and and then finally, it's a it's a call to the church. It's to say like, we can do better. The church needs to do better. And here is how we can love people in the pews who are struggling. So that's that's kind of the, the broad overview of, of how I got to this point. That's so, so good. And, you know, I just personally relate so much to your story. I was reading your bio and I'm really looking forward to the book. I personally have OCD and anxiety as well. You know, I've been a Christian for as long as I can remember being anxious. And Mm. so, you know, from a very young age. And so here's a question I have for you. You talked about having this almost relief when they named what you were facing and gave you, you know, a diagnosis because it almost separates what you've been feeling and thinking from your identity. It's almost like you are still John, but now Mm -hmm. you have this thing that you can take on and face rather than these are just John's issues. These are just John's thoughts. And so I kind of want to know in your younger years, before you had those names, before you had that diagnosis, what was it like? Did you struggle hmm. with shame at all? Did you struggle with um, feeling like there's just something wrong with me? You know, I, I think that was my personal journey. So yeah. I'm just wondering, what was that like for you? You know, so um, I think you both understand this from the church perspective. Like we tell our young people, we tell our kids, like be an example, like, like be the light of Jesus. And like all your friends are going to like want to be like you and they're going to come to Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I know it's an oversimplification, but that's kind of the message I grew up with. And secretly, I, you know, I was struggling to the point I'm like, why would anyone want this? You know, so like I, I, I say this, I have no idea how I made it through high school. I have no idea how I even made it through college. Right. Um, but like secretly, I'm like, I, I, I don't, these thoughts, the, the, the way that I respond to things, the, the, the obsessions with, you know, just you name it, right. That I can't get my mind off of. I'm like, why would anyone want to be like me? You know? So I did, I did struggle with that 
growing up. I think like you said, Becky, like I think then at times we just say, um, okay, this is how I am. And, and there's, there's some truth to that, right? But um, I, where I think some of the talk about mental health that's, that's, that can be hurtful to people is kind of wrapping your identity in it. I can be a person, like there are good aspects of anxiety and OCD, right? Like I told you, like I'm an overachiever, right? Like like business, the people I work for, they love me, <laughs> right? Like I'm always exceeding deadlines and exceeding expectations. Like that's great. So there are some good aspects, but when we wrap it into our identity, I think too many times it, we just kind of settle for it and we settle for the bad effects instead of saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embrace the good, but I'm still going to work on all this crud and, and, and whatnot that this has created in me or that the roots of what this is. So, um, yeah, there, there, there's been times growing up and there's been times even now that where I, I have to really work at saying, I'm John, right? I'm not, I'm not, the anxiety guy. Now, right. I know that I'm going to like, that's how people like compartmentalize things. Great. But I am not, I am John Seidel. Like I am not anxiety, John, if that that's makes true. sense. Yeah. It's so true. When, and you know what I love? I love how you flipped. Why would anybody want to be like me into let me share my story because there are so many people like me. Let me mm -hmm. tell your story. I think this is something you said. Let me tell your story by telling my story. And that yes. gives people so much freedom to say, look, I can find myself here. And if he found freedom, if he is even just still walking it out, but has removed it from his identity, then maybe I can too. And it removes shame. And this is what I think Jesus meant when he said there's power in testimony mm -hmm. and to share your testimony. Um, so important and so good. Yeah. How did I you, I wanted to go back to something you said about, you know, I want to just go back to the beginning of the story kind of when you realized I need to deal with this. And mm -hmm. Brett, your wife, you know, said to you, look, you know, you freaked out over the, the sugar substitute. And then it was like, this is a, a new moment for us to kind of move forward. But what was going through your mind? Because you mentioned feeling the way you felt when you were younger, going through that, that journey kind of secretly. And then you have this, this profound moment over something that, you know, you, you were saying it felt silly in the moment, but it was a big moment for her to say to you, look, we've, we've got to, we've got to deal mm -hmm. with this. What was going through your mind in the initial sort of moments of hearing that from her? So I think one of the things that people that struggle with anxiety and OCD, and by the way, let me just time out real quick. Like I'm saying anxiety and OCD, like it's all anxiety. Like OCD is basically kind of like a subset of anxiety. So if you have OCD, you have anxiety. If you have anxiety, you don't necessarily have OCD. Um, but just, just understand that it's kind of like one of those like circle things, like everyone who has OCD has anxiety. Um, so I think for people like me who struggle with that, I know and I want to, I know that these thoughts are ridiculous. I know that they are not healthy. I know that they're eating me up. I know that I don't want to reread emails 50 times. I know in, 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 my, in my head that when I, when I uh, go over a bump in the road, I did not run someone over. And yet, I, like, that was a thing. Like, my OCD kind of manifests in car stuff. Mm -hmm. Which may sound funny, but like mm -hmm. my cars are, are like really well kept because my OCDs, maybe it was my, my, my grandfather was a mechanic. And so I, I don't know, but 
um, I would, this reoccurring thing was where like, I would run over a bump or a squirrel in the road and I'd be like, oh my God, I ran someone over. Like I need to circle the block three times. And funny enough, when I said that in my article in nine second, I had, I had a ton of people say, you too. Like I struggle with that. Like, and they were like, they were so relieved. Um, but the point I want to make is that I think what was going through my head is that like, I know this is ridiculous, Mm -hmm. but I can't get past it. No matter how hard I try, I'm, I, I am trying to will myself past this and I can't. So when my wife, and I think this is powerful and I talk about this in the book of like, you as the loved one have the right and need to express how it's affecting you, right? Because that's what finally broke through for me is my wife just broken in front of me and sobbing and saying, John, I don't think you know what it's like to walk on eggshells constantly, not knowing what's going to like put you into this obsessive episode. And so I think what was going through my head was finally like, yes, this is not normal. This is not just normal marital conflict. And, and seeing that kind of broke through a lot of the own defenses that us anxiety and OCD sufferers like build up. Like we, we build these defenses to kind of at times like justify or, or make it seem logical when it's not logical. So if your whole life as you're struggling with anxiety, you're like making excuses for yourself or at least trying to explain it or justify it, it's going to take something like that to kind of break through. And so I encourage people in the loved ones in the book to like, you need to be heard. You deserve to be heard. And and you being heard can be the the trigger in a good way that kind of breaks through some of those justifications and defenses. Mm. I think that's so good because, you know, sometimes the things that we won't do for ourselves, we will do for those that we love. Yes. And, co- and compassion comes from a different place in our hearts sometimes than uh, the way we think and treat ourselves. So it's so important and so good. So I love how you're so open about what the church needs to do here. You know, this Mm -hmm. is something I've written about in my own books. The church needs to be more proactive in how they not just talk about anxiety, like it's okay if you have it. You know, I mean, I feel like we're kind of just getting there where the church is like, I mean, there are people in the body of Christ who have it and it's like a big thing, but I want to know, how can your pastors, your um, your friends, your people who surround you in church come alongside you and join you and your spouse or join you and your partner on that journey? What's the advice you have for the church? Yeah. So I think it starts with this, and I'm not going to, I'm tr- going to try not to get too deep here, right? But it starts with preaching a proper theology of suffering. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is, you know, I grew up in a faith tradition that was very, um, name it, claim it. Like if you have enough faith for anything, you can have it, especially if you're dealing with mental health. Like if you have faith and pray and believe, then it'll go away or there's something wrong with you. Like you've Mm -hmm. sinned or there's repentance that needs to happen or, you know, a, a very like, Honestly, the tradition was very works-based, even though they would say like, no way, we're not works-based. It's like, no, that's works-based. Like that's saying I have to do something for God to, you know, treat me okay, you know? Um, And so the book of Job, as I got into my college years, was huge in kind of releasing me from that and me understanding, wait, like there's evil and sin in the world. And like what I'm going through is, is it's being allowed by God for some reason, 
right? And and so it's my responsibility to press into the Lord to say, Lord, A, what are you trying to teach me through this? How are you trying to refine me? And and understand that what I'm going through is for our good and his glory. And like that, wrapping my head around that has been one of the biggest gateways to freedom to say, I'm still like, do I pray that the Lord does a miracle? Like, absolutely. Like, I hope that one day he just like takes it away. But until then, what am I going to do? Right. And so like Paul talks about like, like, you know, trials producing perseverance. He talks about all things working together. And so like, what does that really mean? It means like we need to, um, we can lament by the way, like we can say, Lord, like this is not right. Like David lamented. He said, why, you know, why are my enemies all the ones that are, that are, that don't have anxiety, <laughs> right? Like, why, why, why does this person not get anxiety or, or, or OCD? And Jesus on the cross lamented. He's like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he knew the end. He knew how the story was going to end. Like, that's what's so interesting is that our laments and in this, having this proper theology of suffering bring us closer to God. And so I think that is like the bedrock that churches need to adopt. And so when you start teaching that, it it helps you, it helps the people that are suffering, not just with anxiety, by the way, death, grief, loss. It it helps them connect with the Lord on the way that I think he intended uh, to connect with us. So um so I think that's the first thing. And 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 the second thing I would say is it's okay to point people outward. You know, I think as the church and especially pastors, they feel like they have to be the end all like answer and have the answer for everything. And so, you know, I spoke at a conference earlier this year and I said, listen, like I'm releasing you from that. Like pastor, church leader, you don't have to have the answer. I'm not expecting you to be a counselor. I'm not expecting you to be a psychiatrist. So be okay with pointing me outward. Say, listen, John, I'm going to pray with you and, and help you like deal with the spiritual side of this. But here, you need to go over here and deal with the physical side of this. Because honestly, Becky and Billy, like that is one of the biggest messages of my book is that this is a physical issue mm-hmm. and it's also a spiritual issue. And for me, I can't address the spiritual issue until I address the physical issue, right? So like I'm on medication, right? I'm on medication so that I can root out the heart issues, the pride, the unbelief, the whatever that fuel my anxiety. But if my head and my brain is misfiring, I'm never going to be able to get there ever, right? So that's why like medication is important for me. If I'm at an eight, Normally, without medication, it brings me down to a four. It doesn't, it's not a magic pill. It doesn't make it go away. But it's like, oh, okay, now I can take, take a time out, take a step back, and now I can actually press into the spiritual side and the spiritual issue. So pastor, church leader, proper theology of suffering, and don't be afraid to point us outward. We don't expect you to have all the answers. Please have that freedom. How hard is it? to reveal all these things, right? You wrote the article, you know, a couple of years back. You then decided to write the book. You're sitting here now, you're doing interviews, you're sharing very personal details about your life and your journey. And that's something God's called you to. That's why I know you, Mm -hmm. I know your heart, I know why you're doing it. But how hard was it to follow that call and do this? I think if I... Uh, you know, it's funny to see how God works. Like I couldn't have written a book about this when I first revealed my diagnosis, right? Like I wasn't ready yet. Like God was still kind of preparing me 
for this moment. And so um, it was hard. Becky, you said something earlier about like, um, or you asked about, you know, just kind of people's reactions and stuff like that earlier, talked about that. I remember writing in that first article, like I had a lot of fear because of people. I, I didn't want future bosses, past bosses, um, friends, whatever, being like giving them an excuse to dismiss me. Right. So when we talk about like John being the anxiety guy, it's also like John being the anxiety sufferer. Right. Like, so, so there was a moment where I was like, if I write this and say this, you know, maybe there's a meeting down the road where I'm, where I'm really pressing into something difficult and say, no, we got to do like, you guys got to see this. Right. I don't, I didn't want a boss being like, it's okay, John. Like, this is just an anxiety moment. This is just an OCD moment. Like, mm-hmm. like, like you're, you're just getting wrapped up in this, but it's really not that important. Right. And by the way, that did happen. <laughs> and so like my, my greatest fear was revealed and like the Lord helped me get through it. Um, so so it was hard. I think, listen, there are things in the book that I talk about that um, that are still difficult, right? Like I talk about, because of my OCD and sin, right? It's like, like I struggled with a porn addiction for a very long time because like when I get a thought in my head, it's a lot harder to walk away from that thought or get over it, right? So, so like, whereas like, if, if you have a, a quote unquote normal man struggling with this, like, you know, multiply that by 10, right? Those thoughts are re- really and, and historically have been really hard for me to get out of my head. You know, I talk about how like, I really need to be careful with alcohol, you know, that there have been times in my life where I'm, where I'm realizing, whoa, hold on a second here. Like, Maybe even for like again a normal person, this would be okay. But I, I'm 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 not treating this how someone with anxiety needs to treat this, right? Mm-hmm. So I just you know uh, um, I took a big break from alcohol this year, right? I'm just like I'm just going to take a step back, right? Those things are hard because you know you write this, and especially when you're dealing with church people, it's like oh you know oh John has you know John has a porn problem John has an alcohol problem or John but it's like no like like that's the easy thing to kind of say and so there's some fear there it's like no let me have a conversation with you about why I've chosen to do this or or why um, this has been the way that I've I've handled it so I think there is still some fear <laughs> for sure um, but I've I've learned that like I you know, Billy, you know that the Lord has called you to do some things. And sometimes the Lord calls you to do something that's like not going to be successful. And you, yeah. like the whole point is not to have the success. It's, are you going to be obedient to me? So I'm like, Lord, I need to rest in that. Like you've called me to do this. I'm going to put this out there. You, I feel like this needs to be in the book to help people. And so I'm going to give it to you. That's a good word. Okay. That's a good word. Because there's a lot of people who have experiences. They want to share something and they're afraid to do it. And God is calling mm-hmm. them to do it. And they're like, no, God, I'm going to go do something else. Like, And I'll let you know if I'm ready to ever do that. And so I love that you've done this and you've put it out there for people to learn and and really to speak to people who are suffering maybe in silence like you were. Mm-hmm. I think there's a big fear of if I say it, I can't take it back. Yeah. You know, I can't unsay it. I can't un unreveal this about myself. I can't un... I am then no longer in charge or able to control other people's view of who I've projected myself to be. Mm. And I think that's so much of dying to self anyway, is I am not 
who you think I am. I am only who he has told me that I am. And it's a real identity issue. And it's so important. And we're so, so glad you're talking about it. I have, I have one question and Billy might have a few more, but I really want to give you this opportunity. Yeah, We've got listeners right now and they are undiagnosed and mm-hmm. they have self-diagnosed and they have been terrified that maybe they'd be counted like you and I among those who suffer. But maybe they're coming to the edge of going, okay, but what does it mean? What do I do first? And I want, I want to give you the chance to say, if you're listening and this is you, here's your opportunity and here's what you can do first. Yeah, that's great. And I, I think there are so many of those people that are kind of like teetering on the edge. It's like mm-hmm. this 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 clown car is on the cliff and it's like, it could go either mm-hmm. way. So first of all, I just want to encourage you that like, yeah, I think there's other people who have written books on anxiety and, and they've taken two approaches. One is that like, once you, once you come out or once you get help, like, like freedom is possible and everything's going to be okay. Is freedom possible? Like, yes. Again, I'm praying that the Lord takes this away from me. Yeah. But know this, it is an ongoing battle. And so I don't say that to discourage you. I say that to encourage you so that when like 99% of the people like, you know, either start medication or start talking to someone or, or, or come out and start getting help and it's six months down the road and they're like, well, great, that's a panic attack. What, what is going on? It's like, no, that's part of the process. So I want to encourage you there first to say that like, there's not a magic pill. There's not a magic conversation. It is a process. I still fight it. I fought depression last week out of nowhere. I'm like, what? Where is this guy? I just got back from vacation and I'm fighting depression on the day I get back. What is going on? You know? And so it it it's something that, like, please understand. There's don't beat yourself up if you're like, I read the book, I did all the things, and I'm still struggling. It's okay. You're going to still struggle. I think the second thing then I would say is the freedom that you feel is different than the freedom of it being taken away completely. And so I, I have, you know, the book is titled finding rest that, you know, and I explain in there, it, that doesn't mean like complete absence of everything you're going through. Like I've learned to find rest in the battles, right? I'm, I'm still battling, right? But the Lord has given me respite at times where I can go back behind the lines and and charge back up and have those sweet periods and moments where uh, I am experiencing a lot of freedom. And then, you know what? I'm called to get back in the battle and that's what, it, you know, what I'm doing. So as far as the next step goes, I would say there, there's a couple of things you can do. I would always talk to someone. Okay. And so I think whether you talk to a pastor, a counselor, a doctor, like your primary care physician or psychiatrist, tell them like, Hey, I feel like I'm struggling with this. What do you think? Right. Um, and what I'm hoping that will do is by telling what's going on, even if let's say they're like, yeah, you're not, maybe you're not like GAD or OCD, but here are some things you can do to help align that. The more that you talk about it, the less power it has over you. No matter what, no matter if it's like an actual diagnosis or it's just something you're going through. Even if you're just going through a hard time, the more you talk about it, the less power it has over you. And I have found that, you know, Billy, just going back to your your question, like it was really hard for me to tell in the beginning. It's become a lot easier, you know, over the last, you know, however many years, seven years. Um, 
to tell the story and to talk about it and be open about it. And every time I do it, every time, that's why I, that's why I love talking about it. Not because I, I don't want to make me look good because, but selfishly, like it gives the disorder and the diagnosis less power over me. So I think that first critical step is, is, is talk to someone. And I, I, I just wrote this article that's going to be coming out. And I talk about how like Frozen 2, there's a lot of, so there, there's something really good in Frozen 2, okay? And it's this, it's, this, um, it's this song, The Next Right Thing. And so if you don't know, like Kristen Bell, who voices Anna, struggles with anxiety and depression. And so there's this d- documentary about the making of Frozen 2. And she talks about like how that song was born out of some of her struggles. Like, I can't get up today. I don't, like, I don't want to get out of bed. Like, and it was do the next right thing. And before you before you go like emailing me about getting theology from Disney, I will say this. That's not a new concept. Elizabeth Elliot, you know, the famous missionary, she literally used the same mantra and talks about using that same mantra when she was going back to the jungle after her husband Jim was killed. She's like, I didn't know where to start. I didn't know what to do. It was really hard. I just do the next thing. And so the next thing, do the next thing. That might look like going to a counselor. Maybe you have been seeing a counselor and it might look like saying, maybe it's time for me to get on medication, right? Or, or at least think about it or talk about it. Um, one caveat real quickly I will say is I'm not out there trying to diagnose everyone, you know, give pills to everyone. What I'm here to tell you is just have the conversation, it's good for some people. It's right for some people. Others, it may not be. And so I, I'm not out, you know, I'm not being paid by big pharma uh, to <laughs> peddle uh, medication, but I'm just saying like, it's a common grace that the Lord has given to us. If I if I break my arm or if I break my leg, I'm going to go to the doctor. And if he prescribes me something, I'm going to take it. Like, we don't think twice about that. If I have a broken brain and he prescribes something, okay, I have a broken brain. Like, let's see what that does. So that's my encouragement there. So just as we wind out to a close here, because I could probably, and maybe we'll, what we'll do is we'll have you back for a second part of this, because I think there's a lot to dig into on, well, you know what, forget, I'm going to ask you this question. I was going to hold it, but I'm going to ask you, because I think, I think it's actually important, because you spoke to people who might be suffering in silence, right? And earlier we talked about people like your wife, loved ones who maybe mm. are dealing with this from the other side of it. What what would you say to those people right now if they're listening and they're not sure what to do, they're not sure how to sort of break mm. through and reach out to their loved one to, to try to sort of spark them to take that next step? So two things I would say, um, and I go into detail about like how to have these conversations in the book. Like I even like put in a, I have like a table that's like what to say, what not to say, what to say, what not to say, right? So um, this is, again, something near and dear to my heart. And it's one of those things that my wife was really encouraged me and said, please have this in the book to help people like us. I think there's this fine line. So so I guess, I guess the first thing would be going back to Becky's conversation of like, you have the right to be heard. So you need to have that conversation, right? But there's like a fine line between bearing like, your frustration in your soul and also doing it in like uh not a sh- like a shaming way like you're doing this to me you're causing this you're making me feel this way like especially people with anxiety they're just going to shut down like they're just going to shut down and they'll start shaming themselves yes i'm a piece of crap i'm a dog pile of crap okay great awesome we're not going to get anywhere you know and so i i think 
be heard, um, have those conversations, do it lovingly. But honestly, Billy, I remember this was during COVID last year, you know, when all you could do was like walk around the neighborhood because there was nothing going on. And so I had just had Brett, my wife, read one of the early versions of the book. And, and so we went on a walk. My niece came over and watched the kids. And I said, so you've read the book. Like, is there anything that you feel like is missing? And she said, yes. She said, you need to tell people to go to counseling together, together and separately. My wife, after she read one of those early manuscripts of the book, had to go back to counseling. And at first I was like, I was like, wait, what? Like, what did I do? Like, wh what's, what's going on? Did I do something to hurt you? And she said, no. But she said, John, you don't, like, I've tried to shelter you a little bit from all the internal pain and struggle that was going on in me while you were struggling. Like, after I read the book again, I realized that I had a lot of undealt with hurt, some anger. Like, I just, I need to work through some of that stuff. So she went back to counseling. Like, she went back to counseling. We had, we had done couples counseling um, in the wake of my diagnosis, but she went back to counseling. And so what I would say is, go to counseling right? Whatever you're comfortable with. There's biblical counselors, there's, there's licensed professional counselors, LPC. I go to one that's both. He's an LPC that happens to be biblical counselor. I feel like that is the best for me. But talk to them, but also the person that's suffering, but also talk to someone that can help you kind of work through um, the pain and the hurt that, that comes with this. Well, listen, John, we so appreciate you coming on to talk about this. There's so much more to talk about. I feel like we really just kind of scratched the surface, and I so appreciate your time. Uh, for everyone out there watching or listening, make sure you head over to grab Finding Rest. It comes out September 28th, right, John? Yeah, September 28th, and you can go to findrestnow.com, and that'll kind of show you all the buying options, and, and it'll have a bunch in the book, how you can get a signed copy and all that good stuff. So just head over to findrestnow.com, and that's kind of the landing page to kind of launch you off to wherever you want to buy the book. Target, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, you know, Amazon, all the whole deal. Awesome, and you can pre-order it now, so head over and do that, and tune in next week for another episode of the Pure Flix Podcast.